I real we've been recording for five minutes. We should probably start the episode. We should probably do some sort of cold open. We've already recorded for enough time to like call it an episode, except where we haven't even. Here's what we do. What do right? we do? Take audio of just us saying words and string it together to make something coherent. Like I would love to see Earth. I don't think we've uttered the word foraminifera, but that has been remedied now. I don't know what it is. It's magic. It's it's volcanoes and lava and magic. So we'll see. We'll we'll work that out. You can actually like draw pictures. I don't know how you do it. I was going to compare it to like a podcast using one of those text to speech programs. I think that would be interesting at first, but get boring very quickly. Robots are coming to take all of our jobs. There's probably a robot who would be able to say, this is Reconceived with Ben and Joel. I'm Ben. You're finally starting. Thank you. And I'm Joel. So what are we talking about today? It's trains. We're talking about trains. Yes. All right. Let's let's talk about trains as we continue to derail this one. That was well done. We're going to have a you. pun counter I'm, this episode. That was one. I'm very proud of that one. And... I just want to thank um, my mom and my dad, um, specifically my dad for helping me with dad jokes. It seems that your father Thanks. has trained you well. All right, let's let's get back on track. So what do you think about trains? What do you know about trains? And here, I want you to envision trains in the historical perspective, not like high-speed, really cool magnetic levitation trains. We're talking mm. more rail cars. What do you think of trains way back when? Um honestly, not much. Like I trains for the most part for me because I've never actually if I have ridden on one, it's been so long that I've completely forgotten about the experience and so like I don't have a lot it's mostly a, a fictional idea to me. For the most part, when I think of trains, I just think of different famous media that had it. So you got like Paddington, Polar Express, Harry Potter, C.S. Lewis, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know? And so like, I I don't usually think about the actual train themselves. It's not a real experience. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. It seems as though I'll be reconceiving your notions about trains, if not the common cultures. Actually... Now that I think about it, this episode would better be titled Railways. All right. All right. Tell me about the railways. The railways. I'm so Absolutely. ready. The first time they were ever used in any industrialized setting was in coal mines. They would use these rails to transport cars of coal quickly. And that was in 1767. Think of like the games that have like a really old setting and a gold mine where you just have this little pushed mm. cart with all the gold in it that you push along the rail think like that mm. that's what kind of okay. rails we're talking about that was their first use okay okay so basically like a very limited wheelbarrow right and the first instance of a steam-driven locomotive railway was in 1830 in england from manchester to liverpool so that was the, mm. the first instance of a railway and we can actually talk about why they're the size they are and how they work 
the inter- the standard size for railways is four feet eight inches, and that's standard for fifty five percent of the world's railways. Pretty much the only reason that's standard is because that was what was first popularized. A man came up with a design using that distance, and it just it spread like wildfire, and that's just what we use now. Here's the thing, right? I actually live literally right across the street from a train. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard trains a lot, okay? And sure. I see them pass by, and that's great. For the life of me, I've never understood how train rails actually work. I don't know. It's just something that, like, you think about as a kid, but it's so minuscule that, like, you never actually ask anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's just something that sort of rattles around in your head. Right. And since you're doing a whole episode about railways... I feel like this is a good time to just sort of spit it out after 18 years. But how do they work? Like, specifically when a train turns, that always kind of messed with me. And, like, why are the why are the rails sort of, like, indented on the inside where it sort of comes back out and has sort of, like, a bulbous design? Like, that certainly wouldn't work with any kind of wheel, to, like, fit into that groove. Take a look at the picture I just sent you, the cross-section of a railroad. I always imagined that the wheel was further in, and it would fit inside of the groove, which was always, which would always mess with me, because, you know, that wouldn't work. For it to actually be able to turn, that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It would get caught. But... Huh. Okay, so the train is a lot more elevated than I thought for some reason. The relevant bits are just the wheel and the rail itself. And if you'll notice, the wheel actually comes at an angle. It's sort of like a cone-shaped wheel. And the reason that is, is that when it's turning, there has to be somewhere for the wheel to move without slipping off of the rail. Hmm. They're angled at such a way, and there's a really cool number file video about this, so that when they take these, tur- these turns, there's there's room for the train to move without tipping over. Well, there we go. All right, yeah, that that pretty much answers my question. Excellent. Um, it, like, I just sort of assumed at this point that it had something to do with magnets, but that's probably not right. So you've already, like, you've already done your job, so. So I'm going to take it a step further, even. Okay, I'm ready. There are the very fancy and exciting railroads that people might think about are transatlantic railroads that go from one ocean to the other across the United States. And that's such a phenomenally huge project that you could wonder, how would you even build something that big? How would you embark on such a grand endeavor? You know what? Yeah. And then also, how do they, like, put the trains on the track and make sure that they the train doesn't accidentally go to a track that isn't finished? And also, how do they make sure that no trains are going on the same track in opposite directions? And then you have that math problem from eighth grade where you have to figure out wh- where the two trains crash. That was a really fun problem. It, it really resonated with me at that time because I really just wanted to cease existence after that math problem just forget about this math stuff just make me a journalist on one of these trains i'll give you all the details you need oh oh my gosh yes now you're thinking practically exactly there are two options anyways to to go back to the transatlantic railroads one of them is you build very quickly and shoddily 
so that you can get them mm. finished as quickly as possible and start making money as quickly as possible. That's what happened with the U- Ulysses S. Grant um, in the uh, time of good stealing. People were just like, hey, let me make this cool train. And he was just like, all right, I guess. And then he was like, ha, ah, sucker, we got the money. We got the grant to make trains on mountains. And now we're just not going to care about whether or not it's safe. And a million people are going to die, probably, maybe. But we got good money. Aha, you're referring to the credit mobilier scandal. Uh, Possibly, yes. I don't remember the name or who was involved, but yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, that was essentially where they were... I believe it was Union Pacific. They were being funded by Congress and their executives were siphoning money from the railroad fund and into their own accounts. Yeah. And that was a, caused huge problems. But anyways, there were two government subsidized railroads, Central Pacific and Union Pacific. And their job okay. was to make these railroads as quickly as they could. All and right. they were also paid by the mile. Guess what that means? <gasps> Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. That means they want to make them as long and winding as possible. Right. Or is, And that encourages very shoddy and very uh, poor quality work. Right. So Central Pacific and Union Pacific, there's this great moment that lovers of trains might be familiar with, where they meet in the <laughs> middle of the country and they hammer in the final railroad spike, and the trains are able to then go all the way across the United States. And it's a really cool historical moment. But what's left out of that is when that they have to spend the next five years redoing the railroad tracks to make them usable so they don't shut down. Yeah, it'd probably not be great. Because, believe it or not, maintenance of railroad tracks is very expensive. I can imagine. It's, it's already a nightmare with uh, streets as it is today. With our technology, I can only imagine how terrible it would be if you only had one sort of lane that a thing could go down, and it's also the 1800s, and you don't have jackhammers. Yep. So that's one option, to do Mm. very poor quality work and just use it to cheat the government in a scandal or to make railroads that'll fall apart in the next five years and have to fix them later. Or you could make really good railroads. And that's what a man named James J. Hill did with the Great Northern Railroad that went from Chicago to Portland-ish. It it was kind of a sprawling railroad. And what he did is he built his railroad sort of in stages, and he would encourage farmers to move near his railroad by offering them certain areas of land, and he would give different rates to different passengers if they you know, said that they'd live near the railroad. He sort of fostered a community of people who would be willing to use his railroad in order to make his customers happier with the end product, which was a quality railroad. Huh. That That is really interesting. So he, he, he sort of made his own subculture based around, quite literally, his railroad track. There was certainly an element where he wanted to fund schools and churches and help all of and give out all sorts of land and sponsor all sorts of um, contests and be, you know, engaged with the community rather than engaged with Washington in order that his customers would have a favorable view of him. And he was actually the only transatlantic railroad that didn't take any government subsidies. And as a result, he was also the only transatlantic railroad that didn't go bankrupt. Huh. So it took, this was take three 
before someone actually got it right. And instead of trying to get money from the government, he just skipped the middleman and got it from the taxpayers themselves. Right, from the customers themselves. That's absolutely correct. And he also did it in stages. So he started significantly earlier than the 1890s, which was sort of eight from the 1890s to the early 1900s was when it became a transatlantic railroad. But even before then, he had um, uh, another railroad just up in... So he, so he started small and then expanded outward rather than just trying to take a chunk out of the whole U.S. Correct. He started with what's called the St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Manitoba Railway. Okay. And he actually, a fun fact, his workers, his being James Hills, his workers laid tracks twice as fast as Northern Pacific and of mm. much higher quality. So he was able to lay tracks huh. because of the, the incentive that he had to make good tracks and to make them quickly, as opposed to sort of milk the process out for as long as he could make it. He was able to lay tracks faster and to make them better than his competitors were able to. That is... That is interesting. I, I would have assumed the opposite, that like if they didn't care about how good the quality was and trying to get the most mileage that they could, that they would try to put down as much as they could, as quickly as they could, to get the most money. Right. And when you when you put it that way, there probably was an element of that, which, so they were trying to lay the facts very quickly the tracks rather very quickly so that they could get as much money as they could. But I would also think that if they're, but if they're able to milk additional funds out of Congress, then they could mm. use that extra time in order to get things done. So they're they're Again, it's difficult to quantify what exactly their motive was, whether it was to lay the, the longest track or the quickest track ultimately comes down to how much money can we milk out of Congress. And so there are a lot of factors. Whereas for James Hill, it was, I want to make the best tracks possible so that I can make as much money from my customers as possible by satisfying their needs. Gotcha. I don't really give the railroad system a lot of thought usually. It's just sort of like, you know, you're going along in history and then it's suddenly, boom, you got you got second industrial revolution and now there's trains, I guess. Um, but like, it's very interesting to sort of hear the backstory of like, at first, it was just sort of a con mission, and very likely, if uh, what what was the what, James what Hill was the guy's name again? James Hill. If James Hill hadn't come along, like maybe there wouldn't have been a, a successful train system in America. But there you go. Trains, they're important. And we can be glad for John James Hill. James Hill. James Hill. This has been Railways Reconceived.